listening to a series of Advent Meditations of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joined to God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoyed this week's Advent Meditation. Have you ever been mistaken for someone else? I mean, have you ever been mistaken like for a celebrity? Like that's the question. Because the bad part about being mistaken for someone else is when you know that you're much better looking than the person they say you look like. Like me, for instance. I, I, I often have people say I look like Matthew McConaughey. And look, we all know that I'm at least just a little better looking than him. But, but the thing that irritates me is what comes naturally to him is hard work for me. And I must confess, when someone says I look like Matthew McConaughey, I get just a little offended. Because the worst part about being mistaken for someone else, especially a celebrity or someone famous, is that you get very little privacy in public venues. I mean, you know, people stop you over and over again for autographs and pictures. Then they realize that you're not the celebrity they thought you were, and they just leave you. Unless, of course, you're me, then they take pictures with you anyway. And, I mean, it's really annoying, but it's something that you have to get used to. It's kind of like when that four-year-old child was once asked, has anyone ever told you you look like your dad? And the, the child said, no. And the person said, do, do people tell you you look like your mom? And the, the little boy said, no. Well, who do you look like? And the boy looked up at him and said, I look like myself, silly. <laughs> we are who we are. Jesus is who he is, and he was who he was, but Jesus was often mistaken for someone else. I mean, he was never received for who he claimed to be. His life and his teachings created a lot of attention. The paparazzi followed him everywhere he went. The tabloids were laced with rumors and stories. He was a blogger's most controversial story, but none of these could figure out who he was despite who he claimed to be. And so we turn to John chapter 1 as we begin our Advent meditations for the Advent season. And John chapter 1 makes it very clear who he is, who he always has been, and who he will always be. John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now, there was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and took up his residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. 
Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The text that sticks out to me most that I want to share this morning is verses 10 and 11 of John chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his people. His own people did not receive him. See, church, looking for a Messiah was a way of life back then. The anticipation of a Messiah, meaning anointed one, was embedded in their religion. People knew that the Messiah would be the king and that this Messiah would, would bring hope. This Messiah would bring salvation to God's people, but, but this salvation merely wasn't spiritual like some get-out-of-hell-free card or some ticket to heaven like it sometimes become to us. No, in the Jewish faith, the salvation that they were, knew the Messiah would bring was a salvation of shalom, of peace, of holistic well-being, meaning it would radically shape their lives emotionally, physically, and spiritually. The Messiah would restore true worship to God. He would restore the truest experience of life lived with God and would fulfill all of the promises God had made in the law, the Torah, the writings, and the prophets, even the promise of Isaiah 9 that we will read every week. The Messiah would begin the work of restoring all that had been made broken and cracked in humanity. He would restore their identity as a blessed and chosen and holy people, he would restore their purpose for living and offer an eternal hope that could be experienced in the present because the Messiah would bring God's presence. The Messiah would do what the prophets tried so hard to convince God's people to do, and that's restore all of society, all the injustices, setting right what had been made wrong. The widow, the poor, the orphan, the immigrant would all find provision, would all find hospitality. The outcasts would be included and the captives would be set free. Those who had become blinded in their hearts by the darkness of life would one day see again. The Messiah would help them understand God's movement in this world. He would help them understand more clearly what God was up to and where he was going to lead them. See, looking for a Messiah was a way of life then. And sadly, it's a way of life now. Though Jesus was there and though his birth and his life fulfilled the prophetic promise of Scripture that spoke of a Messiah, many people missed him. God gave the world his greatest gift, his, his incarnated presence, his, his very real presence, and still the world missed him. And maybe it was because the world was looking for something else, and Jesus wasn't what they expected or wanted. And, and we get that in Scripture. We see that at times. They may have had something, that may have had something to do with, with missing him, but I believe it's bigger than that, see? Because here's the truth, and I'm reminded of this after gobbles and gobbles of Thanksgiving and a, and a Black Thursday, which is the pregame to Black Friday, and then the Iron Bowl, that was amazing Saturday, and all the different things that happened, I was reminded of something. See, the truth is, back then, it was easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to believe that in Jesus they had one. It was easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to trust he was who he claimed to be. And perhaps what is true then was just true now. And so I wondered this season, as we kick off the Advent together, as a community of faith, as we consider all the deals and the hustle and the bustle and the gifts and the presents and the family and the stuffings and the cranberry sauces and 
the traffic and the snow and the the Christmas music that never ends and all the other things that's going to happen over the next many days. I got to thinking, what, what do we, what God could we need as a people, as your people? And, and, I, and I got to thinking, I wonder if we need to be reminded to stop looking for a Messiah. Us. I wonder if we have stopped seeing the Messiah for who he is and started looking for another. And, and I know none of us woke up and said, you know, I think I want a better Jesus. But, but here's the thing. It's a very subtle shift. I wonder if we need to be reminded to stop looking for our well-being and our joy and our hope and our peace and our fulfillment, which creates another Messiah, and start living as though we actually have one. See, because if I'm still looking for a Messiah, I can shape him to the contours of my own desires and pleasures and expectations. You know, like, I I can live in in practical disobedience to him all throughout the week and then come here and worship him and think that's okay. See, that's that's, that's looking for a Messiah. We're all capable of worshiping a projection of our own emotions. And and the thing is, is Jesus claims that he's all I need only if I really want to trust him enough to be all I need. If not, I'll look for something or someone else that I think can tangibly be what I need, something or someone else maybe that I think I can touch. If I'm still looking for the Messiah, I don't really have to believe that he is who he says he is. If I'm still looking for the Messiah, then I, I don't have to believe that he really is as holy as he says he is. If I'm still looking for the Messiah, I don't have to believe that he really is as gracious or as forgiving as he says he is. I don't have to deal with what he teaches or, or with what he calls sin or what he calls an obedience, obedient life. See, church, I, I think it is much easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one. If I'm still looking for the Messiah, I'm free to believe that my faith, my spiritual growth, and my walk with God is wholly determined upon and contingent upon what the church does or doesn't do. Though as a child of God, I have access to Messiah at any time or any place myself, I am just too preoccupied with other things I feel are more important or urgent. I'm too busy to read the Bible. I'm too busy to say those prayers. I'm too busy to come and gather and worship. Truth is, it's much easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one. I can put off doing something different now or making different decisions now. I can cast blame of why my life is in the state that it's in on someone else's feet, whether it's my parents or my spouse or my job. I can blame my spouse for why I do what I do and act how I act. I can blame my kids for why I'm so crazy, though they might have made a huge contribution to my insanity. I can take matters into my own hands and either compromise or come as close as I can to compromise what I know to be right based upon my values and integrity. But, but is my spouse, my children, my talents, the source of my sanity, my identity and hope? It's much easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one. See, after all, looking for a Messiah creates this great sense of anticipation. And and anticipation is often an emotion of great peace and pleasure. Anticipation means that I have something more to look forward to. It's Advent. It was Isaiah 9 for the Jew. And and that can can help me transcend the moment. I, I don't have to deal then with that right now, whatever that is. 
I can live in anticipation. And the difficult with this sense of anticipation is in looking for something else, something more to be forward, forward, something more to look forward to, is that anticipation can create a sort of spiritual or emotional procrastination. It convinces us that we can put off what we really need to do today because we do not believe that we presently have what it takes. Or maybe we can put off what we know we need to do today, get right with Jesus later when I'm older, when I'm out of college, when I'm through this heavy season of my life or when I'm married or whatever the case may be. Failing to realize in the depths of our soul, despite all the country songs that sing about it and the Facebook statuses that proclaim it, is I don't have tomorrow guaranteed to me. I just read last night that Paul Walker, the actor in Fast and Furious, died in a car crash. Who knew? See, anticipation can create a false hope by convincing us that it'll only get better later or tomorrow. But will it? I mean, what if it can't? What if it can get better now? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Anticipation creates this kind of paralysis by convincing us that we cannot act now. We cannot fully live in the present because what we really need to live is a way off in some distant future. Like, you don't understand, Fred, my life is this, and so I can experience that now, but I know that whatever it is, if I just get this job, if I just get this this husband or this 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 wife or this child or this house or this thing. And joy is not something we can have right now, and so I just step back in paralysis and resign my life to the way I feel that it is. And, and most dangerously, church, anticipation can blind us to seeing the Messiah now. It can blind us to seeing who He is through, from believing fully and living into the reality that on that first Christmas day, God did something. That on that first Christmas day, God, God changed the world and changed history and began to change the future. It all began that day. That on that day, Emmanuel showed up, God with us. And His ever-present power is working within us and among us and moving in this world. And instead, we begin to say things like, well, if I, then I, or when I, then I. And what some of us do not realize is we allow anticipation to become this encouragement for us to keep looking for a Messiah, to keep looking for hope and love and joy and peace and purpose in all the wrong places. And I think it becomes incredibly poignant this season for us. Where we begin a sense of who we are in the hubbub of the whole season. And we go broke. So our kids can be happy and have that thing. Just to know six months from now it's not going to be as cool as it was. We know that. But we do it. And what some of us do not realize, and I started thinking about my life, is that, is that we don't realize we have stopped seeing the Messiah and started looking for another. This move from seeing the Messiah towards looking for another is very subtle because life is always moving. Life is always moving forward. The the challenges and the troubles of a broken world will invite us to take a different road, a different path, 
a different job, a different spouse, a different thing, a different something, a different financial path. And, and, and we, we end up taking it, and, and, and we don't realize that, that the path the Messiah has traveled for us is the path he invites us on. And yeah, it, sometimes it looks like a cross. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like, but it looks like joy and peace and hope every time. We don't realize that when we follow this other path, we, we find our lives in this detour. And then we wonder what happened. And we fail to realize that we stopped living as though we had a Messiah and found that it was much easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one. But see, Advent reminds us that in the first Christmas, the Messiah was present, and he still is. He's leading. He longs to lead your life. He longs to lead your family. He longs to lead your career. He longs to lead your hopes, your goals, and your dreams. So, so I got to thinking, then the question for us, maybe the question for me, the question for you is, do I believe that the Messiah has come and that he's here? Or maybe the better question is, do I live like, do you live like a people? Do we live like a people who has a Messiah? A people who've been given the moment-by-moment presence of God in Christ. See, because if the Messiah has come, then he must be allowed to shape me. My desires and what I feel is pleasure. What I think is fun. He must become a part of my daily thinking and daily activities, not just an event. He must have something to say over my priorities on individual levels and family levels. He must have the primal influence on how I see people different from me. He must have the primal influence on my habits. What he says about himself, about the world, and about what a meaningful life is must determine how I live. What I spend my life looking for now has to really be dealt with in practical ways. And this is especially true when we consider the messy things of a life in this world. It's easier to keep looking for a Messiah than it is to have one. It's easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one when your marriage is falling apart. It's more difficult to fully believe and live into the promise of God's word that I can have real hope and that love lost can be rekindled and my marriage can be restored because God's love, according to Romans 5, 5, has been poured out into our hearts through His Holy Spirit, His presence, whom he has given us. When you have a Messiah church, you're faced with the decision to trust him now. But it's easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one, especially when you don't know how you're going to pay your bills next month. It's much more difficult to fully believe and live into the promise of Jesus' words that if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, then all these things that I need in my life, the, the birds are taken care of, the, the flowers are taken care of, all these things will be taken care of. It's, it's hard then at that point to really believe Jesus when he says, hey, look, you're loved more and worth more to God than the birds of the air. So when you have a Messiah, you're faced with the decision to trust him now. But it's easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one when your life is filled with constant trials and struggles like you can never get ahead. It is more difficult to fully believe in the promise of God's words in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 which tells us that even in the midst of trials we can have joy. We can choose joy. 
Because the testing of our faith produces endurance, and this endurance leads us to becoming all that God created us to be, mature, faith-filled, grace-covered, followers of Jesus. It's more difficult to fully believe and live into the promise of Jesus' word in John 16, when we're in these trials and in these sorrows of our lives. When Jesus himself tells us, look, you're going to have trouble in the world, but you can have courage. I've overcome the world. The truth is, it's easier to keep looking for a Messiah than it is to have one when you're faced with fear and uncertainty. It is more difficult to live fully and believe fully into the promise of God's words that we are loved, that you are loved, that you are saved, that you are redeemed and restored by God's grace in Jesus Christ alone. When Jesus Christ himself declared that all that needed to be done to make you and me right with God, he did on the cross in the words of John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. It's more difficult at that point in my life to live into the promise of Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 that tells me that even when I was utterly helpless and disobedient, even when you were lost in your rebelliousness and sin, whether you knew it or not, when you were lost in it, God at the right time came and he made himself known in Jesus and in his mercy and grace, he saved us by grace through faith. And it's not of a work that we can accomplish, it's a gift. No one has any bragging rights before God. See, It's easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one because when you have a Messiah, you're faced with the decision to trust Him now. And Advent season is upon us. In a world that is constantly looking for a Messiah, something or someone to save them, something or someone to give them wholeness, we have to ask ourselves the question as His people, do we believe the Messiah has come? Do we live like we have the Messiah? Perhaps it is easier to keep looking for a Messiah than to have one because when we do, we're faced with the decision to trust him now. So I couldn't help but wonder. I wonder if in this Advent season, in this first meditation, if my family and your family, if we as a family, needed to be reminded to stop looking for a Messiah. He's not a better job or a better spouse or more obedient children. He's not a new friend. He's Jesus, and he has come. I wonder if we need to be reminded to stop looking for a Messiah. He's not a bigger house, a nicer car, more money, a fitter or slimmer you, or nicer clothes to adorn your fitter or slimmer you. He is Jesus, and he has come. I wonder if we need to be reminded to stop looking for a Messiah. He's not good worship music or good preaching. No, he's Jesus, and he has come. I wonder if we need to be reminded to stop looking for a Messiah. Because some of us are too focused, so focused on a second coming that we are missing his first. I wonder if we need to be reminded to stop looking for a Messiah. He's present, redeeming, restoring, holding it all together, all because God wanted to prove that he loves you and me and the world.
And so let the beauty and meaning of Christmas, the promise of this Advent season remind you, the lighting of these candles together. Every day you have breath and you look at that tree or that ornament or that ugly thing your grandmother gave you, whatever it is, when you walk around your house and you think of Christmas, when you hear the annoying music over and over again for the 17th time, when you start to feel the weight and the pressure of the dressing and the gifts and you go to reach for that credit card or you go to fight that person for that thing, may God give us the grace to remember We can stop looking for a Messiah. We can stop looking for joy and hope and peace in anything else because we have the Messiah. God has given us his presence. The Messiah has come and he's died on the cross for our forgiveness. He has risen and he reigns and he's making all things new. May we stop looking for a Messiah and awaken to the life-changing reality of Advent that the Messiah has come. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and his name is is Jesus. Let's pray.